Scripture reading for this morning is from the book of Genesis, chapter 2. Genesis 2, verses 4 through 22. The Holy Spirit says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, And keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. This is the word of God. It stands forever. Well, speaking of the Lord's mercy and his goodness, today we're going to talk about submission and marriage. And here's what I want to underline this morning. I want to say that submission in marriage is not, we're not going to present this today as the stiff upper lip department. You know, like, well, um, marriage is awful and husbands stink, but we got to submit. No, we're not talking about that today. We're saying that submission in marriage is a great 
and wonderful gift of God, and we should be thankful for it, men and women. Amen? Amen. It's one of God's good and perfect gifts that comes down from above. This is one of them. And shame on us when we disparage God's good gifts, including this one. So this is not going to be a stiff upper lip, as I mentioned, message. I ain't got to do it. It'd be shameful if I presented that and husbands love your wives, right? How would that work out? Husbands love your wives. I know she stinks. Horrible person, I get it, but we got to do what the Bible says around here. But that's the way submission gets presented all the time. Does it not? Come on. All the time. We're not going to do that today. We'll give you five reasons why submission of the wife, by the wife to the husband, is necessary and wonderful. We'll get to them in a minute. But first of all, I want to ask you a question while we're talking about this. And I've got to get a lot out today because uh, we're going to move on from this topic. We're next moving on to uh, children and parents next as we wrap up this, this series on the nuclear family. Institutional, foundational, and historical. The family's foundational. In that, you don't have much else if you don't have it. It's institutional in that God gave us the family. This wasn't a bunch of extra smart people coming up with an institution We'll say this, saying this should work. No chance for that. The smart people that hate Christ come up with anything but the family, and they attack it every chance they get. So we know that human beings didn't come up with this. And we say historical. What other institution has such a great history, quite frankly? So it's, it's, it's institutional. It's an institution of God. It's foundational. You don't have much without it. And it's historical. It's not like it was just invented. Adam and Eve didn't know much about the family. It was just invented. Well, we've seen the family and its history for thousands of years. And it's a wonderful institution when God is honored in it as he should be. We're going to get back to this Genesis passage, but for now, turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5 and verse 22. Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And this is something that we've been emphasizing here. We'll touch on it briefly again today. And this will happen throughout the sermon is that the same event, Christ dying for his people, dying for his church, is that one event actually teaches both the husband and the wife. One event, two teachings. One event, Christ dying for the church. That teaches the husbands to love the wives. Same event, the church being subject to Christ, 
teaches the wives how to be subject to their husbands and the fact of it and to be submissive to their husbands. After all, I would hope no person who calls themselves a Christian would have a problem with the church submitting to Christ. Why do we have such trouble with a wife submitting to her husband when Paul says it clearly here that there's a parallel between the two? What's our problem here? And if I get a little extra emotional during this sermon and perhaps angry, forgive me a bit for that because the church, the institutional church has run away from this topic as if it's leprosy. Shame on them. It's taught clearly in the Bible. Submission in marriage of a wife to her husband is reasonable and right and beautiful. It's reasonable. It's right. It's beautiful. Insubmission of a wife to her husband is wicked and deadly. Again, we have no problem saying that about a husband's love to a wife, right? If I stood up here and said, you know, if a wife doesn't love her, if a husband doesn't love his wife, that's wicked and that's deadly, and it is. And all the institutional church says amen. They're all about it. But you say this, oh, better give me about 100,000 qualifications. I'm angry about this. You know, there's topics when you, you, you come to in the scriptures and you, you, they don't make you angry. You're trying to explain things. You're trying to preach the truth and you're not angry. But I'm angry. God has given us his wonderful word and we have a better idea again, again. What a mess. Well, last week we read 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6, where Peter talks about Sarah and he talks about and he sets up Sarah as an example to other women he says you can be Sarah's daughter you know how becoming CEO of um, of Apple no you you can be Abraham's excuse me Sarah's daughters if you will if you respond to your husband like Sarah responded to Abraham calling him Lord. We talked about the definition of submission to arrange under, to subordinate, to be subject or put into subjection. To subject oneself, obey. Talked about that word, obey. That word has crept out of our marriage vows as we mentioned last week. Why would, why would that leave our marriage vows? Why, why, why would we do that? Do, do, do you think that word has left our marriage vows because of a study of the Bible? You know, we did an intense study of the Bible and decided that we're not going to say this anymore in our marriage vows. No, I don't think we're listening to the Bible on this one, my friends. To submit to one's control. To yield to one's admonition or advice. These are what 
definitions, if you will, of what's conveyed here in this word. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And one of the things we have to say again, because there are those that I think pervert, and that's the right word for this. They read this and they say, all women must be subject to all men. (laughs) No. It's really clear. Wives, submit to your own husbands here. We need to say this because I've heard this, I've heard this messed with. Not often, not by many, but it's been done. It's, it's really bad. Well, this morning, I have five reasons why submission to, by the wife to the husband is necessary and beautiful. What do I mean by submission? I'm going to define submission. The voluntary cooperation of, in marriage at least, the voluntary cooperation of a wife wherein she accepts and approves of the ultimate responsibility of his place before God in family-related matters. But I need to add, these matters, of course, are non-criminal or of a, of a non-criminal um, nature because the question always come up, what about, what about physical abuse, which is a criminal offense? physical abuse is. But what about criminal matters? That is where the state, Romans 13 and other passages specifically come in. The state is to step in sword in hand for criminal matters. And we've talked about this before, but let's not ever forget that we don't get to define what a criminal matter is. God does that in his word. That's why we have the Bible. God defines what a criminal is not the state. One big difference between the submission of a wife, this question has come up, so I want to um, address this briefly. One big difference between the submission of a wife to a husband as compared with a citizen to the state is that the husband is to love the wife. We have no such parallel with the state to the citizen. This is not news, I trust. The state has no obligation to love you. None. You may have noticed that the state doesn't love you very much. Or at all. You see, here's the thing. When we talk about a submission of a wife to a husband, and we'll get into this a little bit later, perhaps. A wife has made a decision to submit herself to her husband when she married him. What decision did you make to be submissive to the state? You made none. You were born here. You made no decision like that. That's different from what happens in the family here. Completely different. And really, we see... And, and, you know, and it's, it's intriguing to me that Paul does not use the, uh, the illustration of Christ dying for, uh, for his church. He doesn't use that same illustration when he talks in Romans 13 and other, and, and other places. He doesn't do that. But he uses that when he's talking about a wife and a husband. Because a, a husband is to be to his wife what Christ was to the church, to love, protect, support And a wife submits and serves her husband. 
loves him and respects him. These are good things on both sides. But as we mentioned last week, and I want to emphasize this again, those people, those wicked people that hate marriage attack this doctrine. They hate it, but they only hate it in marriage. Understand that. These people that will tell you that submission in marriage is a horrible thing, they're fine with unlimited submission to the state. How wicked is that? That, that's, that's terrible. Here's what God has said is in marriage is a good and wonderful thing and they hate it there and they love it everywhere else. What hypocrites. Why in the Christian, here I am getting upset a bit, but why? Why in Christianity do we run away so quickly from this topic as if it's, again, leprosy and, and, and wink and look past What's going on in the state? Why? Shame on us. Let's remember what Christ said. Who's ever ashamed of me, and that's the way we read it, right? Whoever's ashamed of me, then I'll be ashamed of him in the presence of my Father. But that's not quite what he said, is it? Whoever's ashamed of me and my word, I'll be ashamed of them. Let's not be ashamed of God's good gifts and God's good word here. Shame on us if we're ashamed of any. Shame on us if we're ever ashamed of anything he said. The shame, the shame belongs to us. Well, five points. Number one, submission, generally speaking, is necessary in all of life. Number two, submission is good. Number three, Submission is right. Number four, submission is necessary to fulfill the original dominion mandate. And number five, submission in marriage by a wife to a husband is necessary to teach what submission looks like to the children. So, let's quickly talk about each one of these. First of all, submission, generally speaking, is necessary in life. Let's take a step back for a minute and let's accept the fact that submission really is necessary in life. Okay? You want to argue with me? Not really. All right. Picture a world where no voluntary cooperation exists at all. Picture that world. Hope you like your cave. Or maybe if you're lucky, your palm tree. Because if you can't work with anyone else, you're not going to get much more than that. And, and, and here's another question. Is it possible for two to work together without any kind of submission ever? Can that be done? I argue at some points there's going to be submission. Hey, we have two different ideas here. People have that all the time. I'm intrigued with business guys. Business guys interest me on a lot of, on a lot of levels. One thing I've noticed about business guys, I, I, I've, seen, I've seen successful businessmen, they're both extremely successful, that disagree strongly on business methods. And I'm standing out there as a non-businessman on the outside saying, you guys are not allowed to disagree. The rest of us slobs that don't know how to do business, we're like looking to you. You guys can't disagree. There's only one way to make money here but there's apparently multiple ways of making it because oftentimes business guys disagree. You know what? If, if, 
two people are going to work together or five people or 500 people, there's going to be submission somewhere. Submission, generally speaking, is necessary in life. Remind the next person who wants to tell you that submission in marriage is horrible, remind them of that point. Okay, it's horrible in marriage. Where is it good? You know what you'll find out, as we mentioned? It's good everywhere else. (laughs) Submission is great everywhere else, except for one spot, marriage. The one spot we're told where it belongs. Maybe not the only spot, but the primary one. Picture that world. No voluntary cooperation. No, submission is necessary in life. I guess there's some folks that can live without submission at all. I think we call them hermits. But even the hermits, some of you guys, I can't remember the dude's name, lived in Alaska. And he, uh, I'm not sure what happened to him. He was a business guy, apparently, and went and lived in Alaska, like the, I think the 60s. Lived there for a long time by himself. But he had an airplane coming every spring and every fall, bring him supplies. I still remember one of his biggest supplies that he constantly needed was socks. Not sure why, I've never lived in Alaska for that amount of time. But even he had to work with someone. Even he did. Submission, generally speaking, is necessary in life. Number two is like it. Submission is good. Getting back to point one, if something is necessary, then it is good, generally speaking. I was thinking about that this week. Could I think of things that are necessary and not good? Well, that's, 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 that's kind of hard, hard to do. You know, um, we, we need to think about this more, especially when things get dicey in our nation and in our country. Let me give you an example. Let's say you're being robbed and you have to physically hurt the person who's robbing you in order to get away, in order to protect, say, your, your wife or your child. Is that a good thing or a bad thing that you had to hurt this person? What well, was a necessary thing? I know we twist in the wind over this. I would submit to you today that it is a very good thing. From Proverbs, strike the scorner and the simple will beware. You know what? That's kind of good for everybody. That's good for the simple, now they're aware. And for the scorner, you know, maybe he'll think twice next time and the world will have less scorn. Submission is good. If something is necessary and submission is, then it is good, generally speaking. I've had a conversation about this with some of my own children. This is a conversation I had, and this is is really the extreme of the point. But but the point I want to make is that some things are unpleasant, but that doesn't mean they're not good if they're necessary. So this is a conversation I had. Um, with some of my children. Let's say I was in a position where 
someone was just picked up one of my grandchildren and just took off with them. Just took off. And so I said that if I was armed at the time, I would, I, I would want to shoot perhaps indiscriminately, even if the bullet were to strike, possibly strike my grandchild. Because, I said, what's going to happen to that child is going to be much worse. Whatever, whatever that guy's going to do to that child is going to be much worse than even dying from a bullet from my gun. And so I've thought about that. And even in the discussion, we kind of concluded that even if I, even if I believe that, I probably wouldn't have, I, I, in the moment, I, I probably just wouldn't be able to do it. I, I probably just wouldn't be able to. You're hoping, well, maybe, maybe we'll have a flat tire. Maybe somebody else will catch him or whatever. Well, why am I bringing that up? What, what's, what, what's my point there? My, my point is that some things might be necessary. They may not feel good at the time. But there are things that must be done. And especially... If something must be done, then it's a good thing to do the things that must be done. That's good. I probably would never be able to do that in that setting. But the fact of the matter is that God is good. God is good. And he gave us this gift called submission because we have to work together. We have to be together as a good gift. Submission is necessary to fulfill the, um, I'm sorry, submission is good. And then the first point, submission, generally speaking, is necessary. So necessary and good. Number three, submission is right. The Bible teaches it again and again and again. And not just submission generally, submission specifically in marriage. We went over those verses last week. We won't go over them again. But Paul teaches it. He teaches it in Ephesians. He teaches it in Colossians. Peter teaches it in, in his, as, as we mentioned earlier before. It's taught again and again in the scriptures. So number three, submission is right. The Bible actually teaches it. Number four, this one we'll spend a little bit more time on and we want to go back to Genesis 2. Submission in marriage by a wife to a husband is necessary to teach what submission looks like to the children, just like the love of a husband to a wife shows love to the children. Actually, actually, I'm sorry, I want to go back to the one before. That's number five. Number four, submission is necessary to fulfill the original dominion mandate. Sorry about that. This is what we want to go back to Genesis 2 for. Submission is necessary to fulfill the original mandate. Let's go to Genesis 2 for a second. I want you to see this. This is something that we want to we talk about the language here. God, in verse, one, uh, verse 31 of, of, of Genesis 1, then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good, so the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Okay, so God has created everything, including man, including Adam. But then we see something different here a little bit. And this, some people have uh, tripped over this a little bit. God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. He rested it from all his work, which he had created and made. All his work, remember that. Verse 4, this is the history. And then he goes over the history. And we talk about plants 
and herbs and all the things that were done that were good. But look at verse 5 here. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there's no man to till the ground. Wait a minute. There was a man. God had already created Adam. What do you mean there's no man? And so some people trip over this and say this is another, uh, you know, th- this is actually another um, uh, story about the creation and so forth. And this, this word man is an interesting word. It's used an awful lot in the first couple chapters here. That word man is actually, Hebrew students know this, that word man is actually Adam. That's the word. So really, it's saying here there was no Adam to till the ground. You could say that, right? But um, what do you mean? There was Adam there. We had Adam. Adam can go out and till the ground. So why is it saying that there's no Adam? There's no man. I think it's an easy answer, quite frankly. Because God says later on that it's not good for a man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. In other words, I think what we're being taught here in clear references, clear, clearly here, is that this task of tilling the ground, of keeping it, of dominion is not going to happen if all you have is Adam. Yes, the command is there. It's just not going to take place. There has to be Eve in order to do this. Certainly, there has to be Eve in order to fill the church, uh, fill the church, fill the uh, world with people, <laughs> the church and the world, for sure. And I'm intrigued with, with, with what this says here. Because after this, we read, as Chris read earlier today, the Lord God planted a garden in verse 8. And he put the man that he had um, formed in in it. He's got trees there. And then we have all this talk about gold and, and, and so forth and rivers. And in verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Well, wait a minute. Don't we have the same problem here? We'll put the man... In the, in the garden there to tend and keep it, but um, it looks like he's not really going to get the job done. Verse 18, this is how the job's going to get done. It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him, or help meet for him. Question, what would, let's say you're the creator, you're in charge, what would it look like for you to make a helper for this man? What would it look like? Hint. We don't need to make a second Adam. We don't need a feminist to step in here and say, oh, I know what we need. We need Adam the second. That's what we're being told today, my friends. What a stupid and foolish idea. Come on. But that's what we're being told The feminists want to tell us, you're not really a woman until you're just like a man. That's that's exactly what we're being told today. And God has something different in mind. He's got a woman in mind, not a second man. Not another Adam. That's why Adam calls her Eve. She's not him. Today we would say, even our Christian circles I think, 
Adam should have said, yeah, there's Adam the second, someone just like me. We, that's, that's not, no, no, please no. And Matthew Henry says this, you may have heard this, that the woman was made out of a rib of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon him, or trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. She's not Adam the second. She's Eve. She is to be protected by him. And we today want to pass judgment on the way God does things. She's to be protected by him. And Matthew Henry just has it right here. Be protected under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be beloved of him. I can't die on this hill, but I do believe that if God would never have created Eve, that helper, then the dominion mandate doesn't get done and there's no temptation in the garden. I think the enemy of our souls sees Eve and he says, uh-oh, this dominion mandate is gonna get done. I'm gonna do what I have to stop it. And the dominion mandate doesn't get done with two Adams or two Eves. It gets done with Adam and Eve with children. Finally, submission is necessary to fulfill the original dominion mandate. A lot more we could say about that. Finally, number five, submission in marriage by a wife to a husband is necessary to teach what submission looks like to the children, just like the love of a husband to a wife shows love to the children. And we asked the question before, how do you teach the children what love looks like? Dads, if you don't love your wife. Is love necessary? Sure is. All right, then let's ask the same question. How, how, wives, moms, are you going to teach what submission looks like because you want the children to submit, submit to you or you should if you are not submissive to your husband? How are you going to teach them? How? What's your plan? Do you have a plan B on that one? It's very clear going back to Ephesians. Let's go back there for a second. It couldn't be clearer. We'll read it again. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is a savior of his body. Therefore, just as a church is subject to Christ, so do the wives be to their own husbands and everything. You want to teach your children to be submissive, to be in subjection to you as they should be. How are you going to teach them? We're taught. Someone had to teach us. You know who it was? It was the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone has to teach our children. It's moms and dads who will do this teaching. So these five points as we wrap up. Submission, generally speaking, is necessary in life. Submission is good. Submission is right. It's necessary to fulfill the dominion mandate. And finally then, submission in marriage by wife to a husband is necessary and good and beautiful. I submit to you again that unbelievers would agree with some of these statements. They would agree that submission is necessary and beautiful and good. They'd be on board with that unless you say submission in marriage 
is necessary and beautiful and good. <laughs> now you got a big fight on your hands. What a mess. Shame on us for running scared before these, these hypocrites and trying to adjust our message to placate them. By application, though, where are you this morning with Christ? Husbands, wives, children, where are you? Maybe what we said today makes no sense to you. Well, this will make sense to you if you have the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit gave this to us. If it makes no sense to you, where are you with Christ? I beg you today to repent and believe in Christ. Do you understand without Christ, you are in danger. You are in danger of eternal hellfire. Do you understand this? You have one chance. That's to run to the one who took your just punishment. Just punishment for your offenses against the holy God. That's first. Second, specific to the submission issue. Two points here. If you're working with people, and a lot of, a lot, a lot of you are, I mean, I, 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 it's, it's, it would be very hard for me to believe that in this congregation that nearly every, in our present age, my guess is that nearly everybody in here has come up against this idea of someone who comes to you and you find out, hey, my husband is just unlivable. He's just terrible. And you now have to give some kind of a word, whether you're official counselor or whether you're just listening to somebody to help him out. And I would encourage you to say, you know what? Your husband sounds pretty bad. How are you doing? How are you? Your husband is to love you. Sounds like he's uh, failing. You're to be submissive to him. How you doing? <laughs> We're scared to say that, of course, because our culture says you're not allowed to say that. God says it. How are you doing with this? I think that's a legitimate question. It's a very legitimate question to ask that because what you'll get and everybody who's ever had this conversation has, has gotten this, I'm sure you have, during the diatribe against the spouse, maybe the husband against the wife or the wife against the husband, you know what gets slipped in there all the time, right? You know, here it is, wait for it. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but gets slipped in there. Well, thank, thank you for that information. You know, I was kind of confused when we started this conversation. I thought you were, but, but, but thanks for straightening me out on that point. You're not perfect. Okay, now we can move on with the conversation. Tell you what, whenever you hear that statement in a, in a conversation, your antenna had better go up, and you know, you know that someone's justifying themselves. And you know that if you talk to the other person, you get a little bit kind of a different story here. You know this. So, as far as application is concerned, let's be able to ask someone, how are you doing, a wife? How are you doing at this? And then secondly, let's ask ourselves, wives specifically, how are you doing personally in your marriage? How are you doing with that? Do you have excuses for why you don't submit to your husband? 
you have excuses for that? Let me ask you, wives. Is your excuse for not being submissive to your husband, if he said he has the same excuse for not loving you, would you be okay with that? Ah, yeah, okay. You know what, he's got an excuse for not loving me. I'm good. Ah, somehow I don't think so. No, he's responsible to love me. Well, you have a responsibility too, to be submissive to him. Submission. The voluntary cooperation of a wife in marriage, of a wife wherein she accepts and approves, accepts and approves the ultimate responsibility of his place before God in family-related matters. I have one more thing to say about this by way of application. We're told, we're told that submission in marriage is a giving up of freedom. But step back for a second. Isn't a wife free to say who, she going to, who she's going to be submissive to? She has freedom at that point, does she not? She has the freedom to limit herself in that way. Just like a husband has freedom to limit his, himself to loving only his wife. We still have that in our wedding vows. Forsaking all others cleave only to her. We don't say the husband is giving up his freedom in loving only one wife. But see, that's the odd thing. If people want to talk about freedom, they want to say that a wife should never be free or a woman should never be free to be submissive to only one man. She should be free to be submissive to multiple men that she works for perhaps out in the workaday world. Hey, this boss, that boss. She should be free there, but never, she shouldn't have the freedom to be submissive to her own husband. Submission is a wonderful thing. And those who hate it in marriage hate the institution of marriage, they hate the word of Christ, and they hate Christ, no matter what, their, no matter what else their, their words are. That's a hatred of Christ. And my friends, I hope that this would not be true of us, that we would take a good gift that God gave us and we would look at it disparagingly. That is an insult to Christ. And we should never insult Christ for any of his words, his commands, his admonitions, his statutes, his judgments, his ordinances. Shall we pray? We thank you, Lord, for showing us what submission looks like, showing us what love looks like. You love the church, you gave yourself for it, and you've called on the church or on wives to be submissive to their husbands, just like the church is supposed to be submissive to Christ. Thank you for showing us. You've told us, but you've also showed us. What a gift. What a gift. Thank you for that. Lord, help us to cling to your word, especially when the culture is attacking it. Help us to, be, to cling to it even more at that, at that point rather than running away from it at that point. And oh Lord, I just pray for the families in this church today. 
I, I pray, oh Lord, that IRBC would be characterized by a whole church full of husbands who love their wives, nourish and cherish their wives as their own flesh. Love them like Christ loved the church. And that we would also be characterized by a church where wives are submissive to their husbands, not disparaging them, but highly respecting them and encouraging them and helping them. Oh Lord, may that be a characteristic of this church, we pray. We ask it in Christ's name, amen.